I missed you guys last week. Uh, we were, Christy and I were uh, up in the mountains, and uh, I, got to, I got to do some horseback riding. And um, as you'll see, I'm walking around like a cowboy, like this. <laughs> uh, sore from that and then from just doing stupid things. <laughs> that, uh, but um, I'm going to just tell you a quick story. Just this is this is uh, this is the way it typically works. If you know my wife, um, she always gets the good blessings. And uh, when we went, uh, they they chose a horse for each of us. And uh, it's just kind of a funny story that I tell here. Uh, so so we get there, and uh, Christy gets this amazing horse. It's like the champion horse. It's the it's a it was a rodeo horse, and it's a beautiful horse. And uh, so I'm like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to get an awesome horse, too. And they bring out this horse, and it's this little short horse. <laughs> that, uh, so a uh, little longer story, but there's, I actually get three. I'm the only one in the entire group. There's a group of like 18 of us or something. I'm the only one that gets to ride three different horses, but not for the right reason. They give me the first horse, and we start out on the first days. This is, we're up a, at a ranch, and we're in the mountains. It's beautiful. And I get this horse, and I haven't ridden in a while, but I'm like, I know what I'm doing. And, and I'm riding on this horse, and I'm like, I'm trying to go left, and the horse goes right. I try to go right, and the horse goes left. I try to stop, and the horse goes, and I try to go, and the horse stops. And I'm like, am I doing everything wrong? And I, I go up to the wranglers, and I'm like, hey, is this, am I doing this right? <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, let me tell you a story about this horse. So just a month ago, this horse, it's the only time this has ever happened, this horse escaped from our ranch, and uh, it was gone for 17 days. And, and we thought, well, we, this horse probably shouldn't be ridden. But it's back on the ranch now, and you are the second rider to ever ride this horse on the ranch. <laughs> and, was, and so my wife was like, you just need to get another horse. <laughs> and uh, so I get the second horse. And the second horse comes out. The, the, so it's the next ride. And they bring this horse out, thinking now, okay, now I'm going to get a good horse. And, uh, and I get even a shorter horse <laughs> that's as wide as it is short. And it's hair. And I, I mean, I love this horse. I got to know this horse for a while. Uh, his name is Diesel. But uh, his hair was like crazy here and it and it would it covered his eyes so I'm like the horse can't even see <laughs> and and everybody called it the hippie horse cuz it was like it was like dude let's go for a ride <laughs> so so I get on this horse and we start to go and um and, I'm, and we're going up the first hill I'm like oh dear lord this horse isn't going to make it and it's huffing and puffing I'm feeling it it's hot and I, and I go, so we call them the Wranglers. They're the ones that are, like, leading these things. I'm like, hey, I don't think this horse is doing well. And they're like, no, that's normal. This horse is known to pass out on the rides. <laughs> I'm like, You've got to be kidding me. So I have this horse, and I'm like, so I have to, like, be careful because the horse is going to literally pass out because the problem is, is they're like, well, the horse won't drink water. And so what we have to do is we have to feed it all this grain 
and we put electrolytes in it, and that's how the horse doesn't pass out. And so that's why this horse is literally huge. I mean, I'd be out done with the ride, and my legs are stretched out like this, and I'm like trying to get my legs back. And so those were my first two horses. Finally, the very last day, I actually got a, a third horse, and um, and it was a it was a normal sized horse that <laughs> was actually up here. And I remember getting on it, and I was like, oh. So this is what it's like to be <laughs> up here with you guys. Uh, so anyway, that's a little of my horse story. Uh, it, it was an awesome time away, though, a lot of fun. And uh, it, it was a great time for Christy and I just to kind of get revived and uh, refreshed. I feel like for where we're going and what the Lord's going to do in this coming season, uh, it was just a much-needed time. So thanks for your prayers if you guys were praying. And it was, it was fun and love, glad we're back, though. Glad to be back with you guys. And uh, yeah, I'm glad I'm off the horses now. It's enough horse riding for me for a while. Oh, real quick to um, Ray, do you just want to share? So we have, a, it's Empower You is this Saturday. Yeah. So uh, we'll meet in the chapel at 9 o'clock in the morning. The first part of the class is about prayer, some real basic information, but also um, activations. In the afternoon, we'll... Um, go in and delve into the prophetic, which is a lot of fun. And uh, both these classes um, make you eligible for altar ministry and the prophetic ministry team. So uh, you can register uh, at therock.org and just go to the calendar under events and go to this Saturday, and you can click on it and register. Yeah, it's $35, which includes um, two manuals, one uh, by Chris Ballatin. So, nice, nice books. Thank you. Yeah, excellent. So, that'll be fun. That's um, this Saturday. They can re- you can register online. Um, uh, I got a note, so I don't forget. There we go. Okay. Instead of back of the napkin, it's back of the tissue paper. Um, Excellent. So I, uh, I'm a, I appreciate getting to speak with you guys. Normally I'm in with the youth on Wednesday nights, and, um, and they're fun, but uh, I enjoy when I get to, when I get to come over here and, and be with you guys. Um, with Marcus out of town, Mike asked me to come, and, and uh, we felt like tonight would be really great to reiterate some of the things from Sunday morning as we prepare for even next Sunday. So these sort of Wednesday nights become really great pivotal moments as we sort of segue from one message to the next of like what God's saying this week to that, to not only remind ourselves, but to stir up and to continue to pray into all the things that he's been saying and is, and is about to say. And so um, you'll both get kind of a, a recap of, of Sunday and a taste of, of next Sunday, more than likely. Um, and so thanks for letting us share with, with you. One of the, the things specifically that I wanted to kind of revisit or rehash or expound upon from Sunday was uh, the idea of obedience. I touched on it briefly, talking about that there's, um, there's the illogical that God will ask us to do, and it's often because in doing the illogical, we are demonstrating obedience and faithfulness. Because if God asked me to do something and I could totally rationalize it and, and see why it was good for me, well, then I'd be doing it out of my own self-preservation. I'd be doing it because, well, this seems good for me, and I will do it because it makes sense. And the obedience would be sort of a cherry on top. Like, 
I'm doing this because it's convenient or comfortable or beneficial or it sounds exciting and it happens to be obedient to what God asks me. But more times than not, as we, as we look at the, the, the history of the Old Testament and the commands in the New Testament, what we see is that God asks us to do something that for the most part seems really strange and he's asking it because in those moments when we are obedient, we are, we are only doing it out of obedience. We aren't doing it for our, our reputation or our public image or because of how convenient it is. Um, when, when Paul goes on missionary journeys and encounters shipwreck and torture and prison and snake bites and poor conditions and all sorts of different things, he's not doing it because this sounds fun or like this will make a good Instagram post. Like he's doing it because the Lord told him to do it. And so in his obedience, he's encountering these things that aren't comfortable, but it's the, it's the, like, the most sincerest form of obedience that God, even if it doesn't make sense, and even if I know it's, it's going to be difficult, I'm still going to do it because this is what you're calling me to. And then on the opposite side of our, kind of our biblical history, you've got way back in the beginning in, in, in Genesis, you've got the story of Noah, who the Lord says, I want you to build an ark. And this was back, like, before the flood, obviously, and he's building the ark for the flood. But in that, the best of our understanding is that before the flood, the weather system was just totally different. The world was different. Life expectancy was totally different because there was this canopy that created a, a totally different environment. And with all of those like factors, they wouldn't have seen rain the way that we understand rain, where you get like these big thunderstorms that roll through and like, you know, if you're not careful, there's flash floods. They weren't privy to any of that. They just had this sort of like super, it was like the rainforest where it was just kind of always wet, but not always like torrential downpours. And, and so when the Lord tells Noah to build this big boat and he's going to hold all the animals, well, that sounds preposterous. Like that's ridiculous. And yet he's like, okay, I will do it. And he just sets off into obedience, not because... I mean, I'm sure saving his life was, was a portion of it, but it wasn't because like, oh, this was going to go really great at my book club or like everyone's going to get a kick out of this at the neighborhood block party. Like none of those things were registering. In fact, he probably got a lot of scrutiny and a lot of bewildered looks and a lot of family members that were like, that sounds weird, like you're crazy. And, uh, and yet he persevered, like he persisted and he said, no, I'm going to be obedient even when it's, when it's wild. And so again and again and again, you've got Abraham who gets this call from God that says, hey, I know that you're living with your family, but I want to take you somewhere else. And the thought is like, Abraham's like, well, where are we going? And the Lord says, I'll tell you when we get there. And, um, and sometimes when we just read the Bible, it's easy to read through it because it's just a few verses. And to look at it and be like, okay, and then Abraham followed him. Like, that's great. Like, I'll follow you too, God. But when we, when we really slow down and stop, and put ourselves in, in that specific situation where we realize that this wasn't really a time or a place where they had developed social services or great like police, fire, and first responders, where they had you know um, these other kind of resources to help or assist you or things where like you could relocate to another place, but you still had FaceTime to check in with family or like a a developed postal service, they, they didn't have those same things. And so when Abraham left his family, he was leaving security, he was leaving inheritance, he was leaving social networks, he was leaving 
um, like capital. He was leaving all of these, like, and then even just the family aspect of it, it was like mom and dad. Like he was leaving brothers and sisters and he was leaving all of that to just follow God where he didn't even have a fixed destination. It wasn't like the Lord was like, hey, I'm going to take you out of the desert and I'm going to take you to Denver. And he's like, oh, this is going to be a great upgrade. Or like, I'm going to take you from Houston to like somewhere much nicer. And, and it, it, it wasn't that. It was, I'm going to take you from here and you're just going to follow me until we get to wherever I'm going to take you. And through that, Abraham was like, yes, I'll be obedient. I'll leave everything I know and I'll leave all of my like, everything that I have going on for me and I will leave that security, I will leave that protection from the family, I'll leave those connections, I'll leave those relationships, and I'll follow you because I'm obedient. Not because I know that this is going to be good, even though in getting to know God, we can trust that everything he asks us is for good. Sometimes it doesn't feel good, and sometimes it doesn't look good, but we know that eventually it is good, and we can trust him in that. But there's still, that trust requires a lot of a lot of faith, and that faith gets demonstrated in our obedience. And so it becomes this sort of beautiful swirl where we step out in faith because we trust him, and then in turn, because we trust him and we're filled with faith, we are obedient, and we continue to be obedient. And, and it's not obedient just for the sake of being obedient, even though that's a commandment and we should do that. But the beautiful thing about obedience is it brings us into divine timing. And we've been talking about this on and off again for a long time, about the difference between chronos and kairos, the Greek understandings of time. And, uh, and chronos is like our watches and how we think of like, it, you know, it's 7.50 or, you know, we look at time or today's September 22nd. That's chronos. Kairos is when the, Lord, when the Lord wants to do something, he's looking for alignment. And as we step into obedience, we step into alignment. And when we're aligned with God, then it creates these opportune times. It creates these, these moments where, where we're able to step into the thing that he wants to do. And that's the, that kairos moment. So our obedience isn't just because we should or you're a better Christian if you are obedient than if you weren't. It's because in our obedience, we come into alignment with God. And when we're in alignment with him, now all these things start to begin to take place. All these things that we we could have worked hard for or strived for or tried to do it in our own strength, but we would have missed it. So with um, Gideon is a great story. Gideon gets this encounter from the Lord. The Lord gives him kind of this promise, if you will, that, hey, I'm, I'm going to use you. You're going to be the military leader. I'm going to give you victory. And at first, Gideon's like thrown off, and he's like, no, you got the wrong guy. The Lord didn't, it turns out. The Lord picked the right guy. And, uh, and so Gideon goes and he musters the army. And then this is when the Lord says, okay, you've got too many. And, and Gideon's like, God, I'm, I'm outnumbered as it is, like a lot. And the Lord's like, yeah, 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 you've got too many. So they get rid of a bunch of them. And he's down to like his 300 men. And, and they're, they're not scared. They're trusting God. But you have to imagine that it just seems illogical. Like it seems like a suicide mission. 300 against, what was it, 120,000? 135,000. And so these 300 are going to go out and they're really going to make a dent in it. But, um, but the Lord gives them the strategy. He says, hey, like, get a, a, a candle and a, a clay pot and then you're going to surround the, their camp, the enemy camp. You're going to break the pot. You're going to shine the light. You're going to shout some things. And then I'm going to deliver victory. 
And again, not a great battle plan from a strategic, strategic like planning idea, but when you have obedience to God, it puts you in this divine alignment. So then what happens is they break the clay pots, they shine the lights, they shout uh, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon, and the enemy encampment goes crazy. They think they're being attacked from every side, and they kill each other. So the, the Israel army, God's people, didn't even have to, to go in and really do anything because they did it all for themselves. They just like self-sabotaged. And it was because of this divine alignment. It was because of this obedience that happened. It wasn't because, like, you know, this was a really great idea, and now other armies have, like, modeled after this, and they've, like, tried to recreate this. That's not it at all. No one has ever tried to recreate this because it's a bad plan. But when you do a bad plan because the Lord tells you to do it, it's a really good idea. When you do something scary because the Lord told you to do it, it's a really good idea. When you do something embarrassing or strange or you leave family or you move across country or you quit a job because the Lord said to do it, it's a really good thing because that obedience puts us in an alignment with heaven where God can say, all right, now I can work. And, and when he, we talk about waiting for the Lord's timing, we're not talking about like just sitting on our hands of like, well, he's sovereign. He'll do whatever he wants when he wants. He's wanting our participation. That's why in, in, in Matthew, when it records the Lord's Prayer, it's, it's laid out in such a way where it's, we, we acknowledge him, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Uh, I'm just going to flip there because it's hard. I was at, uh, this is a, a side note while I flip. I was at CU at the Pole this morning, and, um, and one of the teachers who was helping us like, coordinate it, she was like, let's finish with the Lord's Prayer. And I was like a little hesitant because uh, we're, like, we're praying with like, um, freshmen, sophomore, high schoolers. And she's like, this will be great. And I was like, um, yeah, I guess so. Uh, because like the teachers kind of, they grew up in an era where it was like everything was New King James. So they know it as like, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Those ninth graders are not reciting like New King James prayers. Uh, and so it, it wasn't great. We all had like six different translations that everyone was trying to say at once. And it was, it was a mess. But it was, it was honoring God, and it was fun, and yeah, it was a lot like tongues. Yep. Okay. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. This is the NLT version. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That it's, it's God's kingdom, and it's his will being done on earth. And that we have to like re, reset our eyes that our involvement in it is, is this alignment. Our involvement is, in it is this obedience that happens. That it's not just, um, okay, I'll sit over here on my hands and God will do it when he wants to. It's no, our work is, is to come into alignment with what he said. And sometimes that's, that's big things. Like for Abraham, it was, it was moving into a new place. For Gideon, it was getting rid of a lot of people on the, on the army and acquiring a bunch of pots that they were allowed to break. Um, you know, for different people, it's different things. For other times, the word, like, it's a little bit more generic where it's walk in my ways. You know, so many of the promises that God, God gives us in, in the Bible is, is just walk in my ways or, like, live rightly. And it's these things that it's a little bit more open-ended for some little bit more open-ended promises. But as we get these really specific words, sometimes there are specific actions tied to them. And so as we go through our lives and, and we're carrying different words, either for our, our spouse or our marriage or our children or our families or our finances or our workplaces or our communities or our region, 
there's going to be different, different uh, kind of like levels of obedience required for those things. Some of them will be generic obedience, live rightly, obey the commands, honor me, those sorts of things. Others of it will be really specific. It'll be, you know, give up this for a season. And it's like, oh, God, I really liked that thing. And he's like, yes, give it up for a season. And we're like, okay, all right, I will give up this thing to be obedient. And in doing so, we come into alignment with what he's wanting to do. Excellent. Was that the bulk of what I was supposed to talk about? Okay, all right, I couldn't. All right. No, I, I think that's it. That was, okay. All right, to Tracy, doing the tag team. Awesome. So I, I was away. I, I'm kind of in a season of some unique, uh, untimely travel. So I wasn't actually here Sunday. Um, you know, Mike got to go away and ride horses, and I got to sit in the car for eight hours. And uh, I wasn't on a, a real horse. I was on that, like an iron horse, if you want. And I was stiff, but it was because I had driven for uh, eight hours just the way it worked out. I usually fly, and, but I, I drove on Sunday. But I was on for the pre-service prayer in the car. And I love how Zoom, I don't know if you guys have been there, I was hooked into Apple Play through my car, by the way, on Sunday. And it realized that I was in the car and it said, it goes, you're going into driving mode. You can only, you're muted, you're stopped, your video doesn't show, and you can just push this big button when you want to speak. So it realized that I was actually driving in the car. So uh, anyway, get on your Zoom if uh, Keeping our uh, our road safe because I would have been tempted to watch the video, which I was the first half, and then this thing started. It realized, and anyway, airplay technology is amazing, right? Um, what I what I really love about Sunday and what was released, um, and I haven't gone back to listen to Aunt Andrew's message, but in pre-service prayer, they started going down the road of the sixth, right? Like. The, the, the six times that Jericho went around, right? He went around seven, but around the sixth time. And there's just this moment where, that Mike and Andrew and others were feeling like, I feel like we've, been, we've done the six laps, right? And it's like, man, I really don't want to do a seventh. It's kind of like, Andrew, that's kind of a bad, you know, <laughs> when it's of the Lord, it's a great plan. But, man, is this really the Lord? I, had to th- I have to think that at some point they said, listen, what, did God really say this? Like, was that really God that said, really walk around seven times and on the seventh day, I want you to stop. I want you to, to blow the trumpet. I want everyone to yell and then all the walls will come down and I'll deliver you. It's like the 300 versus the 135,000. And um, instantly when they said this though, I went to Naaman in my mind. I could just like see Naaman. And I'm thinking about this and I'm like um, putting myself in Naaman's shoes. Like think about Naaman in this time. Like, he was a leper. He had leprosy, right? So he's a leper, and um, he's not getting invited to all the great parties. <laughs> um, I mean, in that day, they were outcasts. They were literally, life can be, can be pretty darn lonely when, you're, um, when, you're, when you have leprosy or something's wrong, and, and you got this messed up theology that says, yeah, that must be this thing from God that, 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 that he's not blessing you and he's, he, he's uh, punishing you. And, you know, there's a lot of messed up theology and doctrine in the middle of that. But, but, but Naaman, I have to think at this point, has done everything he possibly could to try to belong, to try to fit in, to try to whatever. He's got to be frustrated. He's got to be really ticked off. And then it comes out. Um, 
Elisha doesn't even give him the word. He actually sends his servant, <laughs> which is kind of funny. But I have to think that this is that, that, that Naaman says, Elisha goes, okay, go tell him this. He goes, I want him to dip himself seven times in the stream, in the river, and that he's going to be delivered of this leprosy. And it says even this, it says, Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot of, to cure me of my leprosy. So he's like mad because Elisha doesn't even come out like himself. He's like, why wouldn't he come out? Why would he send his servant? So he turned and he went off in a rage. And I have to, I'm thinking about this. I'm like, what does this look like? Oh man, uh, that Elisha guy, man. The prophets, they always, man, they're always telling people what to do. They're always this. They're always that. And he's going, man, what? I, I've tried this. I've tried that. I've tried to fit in. I'm frustrated. I'm raised. I'm, all these things that we know to be true. But I have to think that Naaman, when he went to the river, and he's got, I'm thinking like the sixth time he went under, uh, is he even going to go in for the seventh? But it says that he went down and he dipped seven times. And he came out and he was cleansed. He actually tried to give a gift back to Elisha then. <laughs> Can you imagine? This is like, like Santa Claus not bringing you anything great when you're a kid, like at Christmas. And then all of a sudden you do get the good gift that you really wanted. You didn't think you were going to get it. And it's like the last present under the tree. And then you get it and then you're all happy. I, I have to think that this is one of those moments when, uh, when, uh, when Naaman comes back. And he actually wants to give. But Elisha says, no, 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 no. I'm not going to accept that from you. Um, and we went on to the other people in the room in the pre-service prayer went on to talk about not just Jericho, um, and all the other like six and sevens and, and the obedience and the, but the faith and obedience piece of all of this is really what like, like sunk deep in my heart. And I, I, I and even Elijah, when, when, when he was up on the uh, Mount Carmel and the, everything's done right, the God of fire answers and, and he says, it's going to rain now. And everyone's looking around going, okay. And they're all like looking around. Okay, I don't see any clouds in the sky. It's like, you know, they didn't have, they didn't have like the, the, the weather app on their phone. They didn't have like Doppler on, on News 7 or News 9 at, at 9 to, to watch in those days. So I have to think that they're, they're saying, hey, listen, go out. And he tells the servant, he goes, Go out and, and, and look for the clouds. And it says that he actually did six times. He goes, it says this. It says, go and look towards the sea. He told his servant, and he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. The seventh time, the servant reported a cloud. As small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. And then Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, <laughs> hitch up the chariot, go down before the rain stops. Meanwhile, the sky grew black, the clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came to Elijah, and he tucked in his cloak, and he ran. I'm just thinking about some of these stories. And I, and I hit it, I wanted to, as I looked at this today, since Sunday, I've, been, I've went back into a couple different scriptures. I went into Elijah when Elijah went to visit the widow. And so I'm going to kind of go down a couple of just small rabbit holes here, if you will. So hang with me. Um, this is, a, by the way, it's 2 Kings 4, 
and it's 1 through 37. And I'm not going to read all of that, obviously. But what I want to do is I want to pop down to closer to 37, where it talks about Elisha, and uh, it's the widow's son. And it says, when Elisha reached the house, there was a boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he got up on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out on the boy's body, his bo- the body grew warm. And this is where, where it gets interesting because it says in verse 35, it says, Elisha turned away. He actually walked back and forth. And In my mind's eye, I'm thinking, okay, He's like frustrated. He's like, what's going on, right? He's contemplating. He's probably frustrated. He's like, okay. So he's pacing the room, it says. And then he got on the bed and stretched out on him once more, one more time. And then it says this, the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. (laughs) It doesn't say that he that it was the seventh time that Elisha just got up on the boy and laid himself across the boy, eye to eye, hand to hand, mouth to mouth, to revive him, to call out life and resurrect him from the dead. But it's interesting to me that he sneezed seven times. And I feel like it's Elisha's obedience that actually brought the blessing. It's actually his obedience that brought the alignment, the things we've been talking about. It's the obedience that we have to God that brings the alignment, and it's the alignment that brings the will of God into the earthly realm, right? Bringing heaven to earth. Earlier in this scripture, that's, I wanted to reach out to like 35, 36, 37, but earlier in the scripture, there's disobedience that takes place. Elijah actually shows up and he says, hey, what do you have? He says, well, I just have this empty jar and uh, a basin of oil. And he says this. He goes, how can I help? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your son's pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Let me repeat that. Then the oil stopped flowing. Who, who told the widow or the widow's sons to stop collecting jars, to stop collecting vessels, to stop engaging vessels <laughs> and bringing them to them? There's an act of disobedience here. They never said to stop. And it says that when they actually ran out, then the flow of the oil stopped. I had a couple notes here. Disobedience. Nobody told the boys to stop gathering the jars. Every outpouring of oil is started and sustained by God, but every stoppage in the pouring out of the oil is at the hands of man. Think about revival. Every revival started by God, and every revival ends at the hands of man.
I wanted to share one other, one other. This, I wasn't even going to share this. And then as Andrew spoke, I, it was just convicted my heart. And I remembered the six steps that David took. This is in Second uh, Samuel 6, 1 through 16. Once again, I'm not going to read it all. But this is the story where, where they, have the, they have the ark. They're moving it. And Uzzah actually, and God says, don't touch the ark. Don't put one finger from the ark. He says, stay away from it. And Uzzah, as it gets unstable, goes up, touches the ark, and he drops dead. And then everyone's scared, including David. And David actually goes and leaves uh, the ark uh, with the Gettite. He, with the Gettite. And so he leaves it there. And it says that it's Obadadam, his house was actually blessed by the ark being there. Imagine that. The ark of God blessing uh, and the presence of God in his home. But it says that this. It says in verse 6. When they came to the threshing floor... Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled, and the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Skip forward to verse 13. Between there and 13, though, here's what happens. David, the Lord convicts David's heart, and he says, okay, i got to go back and get the ark. <laughs> I can't just leave it at the Gedite's house. I got to go back and get it now. And what am I going to do? And it says this in verse 13, which I found very uh, interesting because we are talking about the sixth. And we be I believe the body of Christ, and I believe us as a body here uh, locally, the rock and this region, we're, we're at that, that place of the sixth, right? And it's, it's, there's this waiting in the patience, this waiting in the waiting what's taking place. Are we falling out in the process? Are we falling out in the waiting? Is our patience getting to us and are we walking away? I would certainly hope not. But this is what David did. He says this, speaking of the sixth. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. So as he goes into the into the into the into Jerusalem, they had gone, I want to say it was over 10 miles and every six steps, a bull, right, a, and a fattened calf were actually sacrificed. Every six steps. In my mind, as we were speaking this, I wasn't even speaking about this, and I, and I was reading it just as, as Andrew was releasing. I was like, man, they sacrificed every sixth step. We're on the sixth step. What are we sacrificing? What are we walking through? What are we doing right now in our sixth step? Now, I know we live through grace. God's not asking. He's, you know, he's looking for our obedience well over, uh, over our uh, sacrifice. Old Testament was sacrifice, cloth, and ashes, right? And the New Testament is all about obedience. And it's to the point of having faith and obedience in this scripture right here. Because every six steps he actually sacrificed, which in the New Testament is translated into obedience. But he was also obedient to do it every six steps for almost, I, I want to say 10 miles. I have to confirm that. I don't want to speak out of turn there. But I think it was like for 10 miles. If I think back in my memory, I, you remember? I, it's miles. I can't remember how many. I want to say it's 10. But think about that. Every six steps for 10 miles. 
And I have to think of that every single step. Think about this. Every sixth step, they're, they're, they're sacrificing a bull and a fattened calf. I mean, and it's like I, they, they have to be thinking in their head, everyone that's with David, all these guys are like, and all the servants are like, man, when are we going to be able to take a seventh step or an eighth step or a ninth step? And I believe this, and it says it here, it says that by wearing the linen of fire, David, when he stepped into Jerusalem, and I believe he took the seventh step into Jerusalem. I believe the seventh step after 10 long miles of every six steps, sacrificing a bull and a fattened calf, that the seventh step that they took directly into Jerusalem was that rejoicing, was that victory, was the walls of Jericho coming down, was Naaman getting delivered of his leprosy and healed of his leprosy. A couple of weeks ago, I, I, um, I, I really felt like there was a missing piece in this season. And I believe it has to do with timing. And even as Kairos and Kronos are being talked about, and I totally agree, like a Kairos moment is when God speaks something. He's looking for our obedience. And in our obedience, his will, his will is done. And his will is done by bringing heaven to earth in that, 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 that moment of obedience that we, we have when he speaks it and we actually respond um, in, in obedience on, on our end. And I felt like this a couple of weeks ago. I felt like we, we were in this moment where there was like a missing piece, kind of like a missing link or a missing piece to the puzzle. And I felt like it had to do with time. And I also feel like it has to do with generations. Like there's almost this generation. As Mike and I talk today, I feel like we're in this moment, like we're in the sixth step. And there's like some divine tension in the moment because it's like I'm ready to take the seventh, but I don't feel the liberty to take the seventh because we haven't heard from the Lord. It's almost like the six steps and we're going to sacrifice the, the bull and the fattened calf. I don't feel like we, I, I, I felt like this. I felt like we don't, we don't have direction from the Lord to take the seventh step. We're in this waiting place. And I feel like it's this. I feel like there's a generational message in this prophetic word in this. Is that like even David. David, they, they were going to build the temple. But even as he was going to build the temple, the Lord said, no, 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 no. It's going to be Solomon. Now, he could have went and built the temple. That wouldn't have turned out so well. And I think, I think back to, to even Moses as he walked up to the Jordan and, and he's ready to cross the Jordan. And the Lord says, no, 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 no. It's going to be Joshua. Notice it's always the next generation. It's always the next generation. How about Elijah? Think about the process there and the obedience. Elisha says, he's telling him about the double, he asked for the double portion, right? He's going to get the double portion, but he's, but there's kind of a sequence of things that take place. And then he tells him, hey, when you put your cloth on the water, you'll know if you've received it. And sure enough, after he gives him the double portion, he puts the cloth in the water and, and he, and he steps back the robe in the water and he feels the power of God, right? He gets the double portion and then he turns around and what happens? He goes directly to the 50 prophetic sons, the next generation, <laughs> So Elijah to Elisha to the 50 prophetic sons, and I feel like it's this, is that we cannot, and you've heard me say this before, and I'm going to say it again, but, and I've said it many times to Mike and even Andrew and Marcus, I'm like, we are at grave risk of losing a generation, like, right now. Like, we are in the midst of that Moses to Joshua moment, right, where, where we're, we're at grave risk of going back into the wilderness and losing an entire generation. 
And I feel like it's our obedience in this season. And this is what I'm feeling in this prophetic word. And I told Mike this today. I feel like it's like we have to wait for him to catch up. I felt like we were in a marathon. I had kind of a, uh, in my not a vision, but just in my mind's eye, I could see like a marathon. And you've ever had like a running buddy like or a running mentor? Um, sometimes they'll have those. It could be in other sports. It could be even in your discipleship walk. You have a, a spiritual father or a spiritual mother. And that's really what I'm speaking to here. But in the natural sense, it's like if you're running with someone and you're like, hey, come on, come on, come on. What if at the 13th mile they just said, hey, <laughs> I'm going to take off. I'm going to finish the marathon on my own. You're way too slow for me. I'm just going to take off and finish this thing. Think about that. Think about the, the one that he's, he's been running with for 13 miles. And the second half of the marathon is way, way tougher than, than, than the first half. The first 13 miles is easy. I haven't run a marathon but I take it from Marcus, who pulled his calf trying to train for one, <laughs> that I'm not going to train for one. And, uh, um, yeah, long distances, and I don't agree. So my point is this, though, is that I feel like we're in this waiting period where we're like, come on, come on, come on, come on. And it's in this, this moment where we say, listen, I want to make my ceiling your floor. I want to I want to bring you like this it's everything we've been speaking to over the last several months and even the last year is what where the mothers and fathers are raising up the sons and the daughters right it's like come on come on come on come on I got you I got you all right let's walk through this and then at that moment right those sons and daughters become mother and fathers and they understand and they actually reproduce right reduplicate that process it's from elijah to elisha to the 50 prophetic sons three generations right and that's a continual process that takes place and so i feel like we're in this place of obedience and waiting like to raise up this generation, to almost like wait for them to kind of catch up. I don't know what that means exactly. I just felt, I've been feeling this for a couple of weeks, and I shared it with Mike today, and we hadn't chatted for some time because he was away, and then I was away uh, traveling. But I feel like that's where we're at, that it's, there's a generational message. And even as, as Andrew spoke it, guys, listen, 70 years, think about this. Man, the, he's building the ark and he's like, I'm not even, I, can't, I mean, back then they lived longer, I get it. But in today's, like, time frame and how long we live, like, he's building this ark maybe in his, what, 30s or 40s, maybe his 50s. And he's like, 70 years from now. Now, he lives that long, and he actually f- fulfills building the ark, putting everyone, everyone on the ark and, and, the, and, the, and the 40 days of rain, etc. But think about this in today's. If you had 70 years, it's like, hey, I'm not even going to be here when this happens. But think about this. But, hey, next generation, come here. The millennials or the millennials to the Gen Zers, hey, come along. Come over here, and I want to show you something. Let me tell you what the Lord told me. He said, 70 years from now, when I'm dead and you're still alive, and you're going to have to carry the mantle of of fulfilling this word, we're going to have to build this ark. You're going to help me, and then I'm going to go away because I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be dead. I'm going to be too old, and you're going to have to fulfill this thing. Think about how silly that may sound, but think about this. This is waiting for that next generation to actually get on the bus, right, to get, right, to be convicted by the, whatever happens in that transitional moment where we're, we're gathering up the next generation and bringing them alongside of us and walking with them. And that, that looks different for many people, but, man, this isn't the one-and-done thing. This is like, hey, whatever you need, I'll walk with you. I, I think it was Marcus or Mike saying, it's like, <laughs> I'm in, I'm office here at the church, and I'm working throughout the day, but, man, 
there's points where I'm, I have, I think, just about everyone in my in or out of my office at one point throughout the day, and I set appointments, and I try to set them at the beginning of the day or the end of the day so I can kind of focus on, on uh, other things during the day. But it's this, and that's my point is that I've, if there's one thing my heart's been convicted of, it's this. It's like, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to honor you through the process. But I'm, my, my one request of you, and what the request from God is, is that you be obedient in the process. I've told every single person that I've ever sat down in front of, that I've ever discipled, that I've, like, I'll walk with you. I'll help raise up the next generation because I know what God's called me to. But you have to do your part too. Right? This isn't a one-way, right? This isn't me committing and walking with you and you saying, okay, great, and right, not to be obedient. There's a purpose in all of this. So I just want to encourage you all tonight. Like, I don't know what, what I feel like even this, even as I spoke to Mike today, and after we got off the phone, I felt like I've been chewing on this the rest of the day. I saw, like, us as a people, like, in the highways, the byways, the church, or not the church, but at work and other places, looking around and I saw everyone like turning around like this, like taking a note of their environment or their atmosphere that they were in. And I feel like everyone was like taking notes. Oh yeah, that one that sits in the cubicle over there or this one or my coworker that maybe you're remote. Maybe it's my coworker that's, you know, in North Denver or Colorado Springs, or maybe they're not even in the state and they're overseas or they're in another part of the country. But I felt like we were taking like stock almost or like taking notes or taking inventory of the atmospheres that we dwell in every single day. Oh yeah, that one needs, yeah, okay. Oh, God highlighted that one, yeah. Oh, this one? Yeah, I remember I went to lunch with them, and, man, they're really struggling with this or that. I feel like we're, we're, we're to call, like take stock or take inventory of the atmospheres we're in every single day. Think about this. If everyone did that and they, they took mental note or physical notes and then spiritually right, inquired of the Lord to speak into each and every one of them, whatever that looks like, Put them on your prayer list. To others, maybe it looks like putting them on a prayer list. I don't know. But I feel like there's this, like this act of obedience for us to take inventory of the atmospheres or the environments that we roam in every day. And that could be work for most of us, right? We're out in the marketplace. We're in the school. Maybe we're working for the government. I don't know. But take inventory of those around you, where you're working and what you're doing. I'm telling you that there are God, not only is God calling the prodigals home, but he's calling us to be obedient, to walk with them, to get them to where they need to be. Does that make sense? Praise God. All right. I, wanna, I, um, I don't know where we're going to go. I want to um, pray. I, I feel like we're supposed to pray into this. Like, I feel like there's a generational piece tonight um, that we're supposed to pray into. But um, I also feel like there's this faith and obedience thing that we're, we're not to leave behind either. So um, what are you thinking? I know you got, when Mike has four fingers, I said he has fingers in his Bible, and I'm like, it's a four-finger message. <laughs> I never know how long that's going to be, but I know he's got something on his heart here, and then I definitely want to leave room to pray as well. We're going to pray at the end, Ooh, and it's close. So I'm just going to, let me do this. I put my finger all over the place, and then I just see where the Lord wants to lead um, as we just close here. But I say we close, but I, I want to 
I, I do. It is important, I think, that we just pray in this time that we, prayer is powerful. <laughs> uh, prayer is what aligns us with God's heart. And, uh, and, and as we're doing all these things, is everything that was spoken tonight is so good. Um, the key to all this is that we know his ways. And if we don't know his ways, uh, the rest of it is really, uh, we're going we're gonna to miss it all. Um, I'm just gonna, I think I'm just going to go to this one scripture in Colossians. This is where I want to end here. In Colossians 1, it says this. Um, Paul's talking here, and he says, I've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. So as we're, as we're going into this, I know there's a lot of us that are, there's people that are struggling in this room right now. Um, I think some that are frustrated, uh, some you don't know, kind of next step, or you're like, where, what's going on? I feel like I'm kind of in a holding pattern, and, and, uh, and I don't know where to go from here. Um, I think we have to be very careful, even, even on the generational side, that we need to, there is a generational piece that we do need to understand and we need to press into. But the only way we're going to get any of this is as, as we set our eyes on Jesus, as we really begin to pray and seek the Lord. If we try to figure this out, and I just, this is just a, hear these words, because if we try to figure things out in this time, we will miss it. Our ways are not his ways. Bottom line, if you think you understand God's ways, you don't. And, and, and that's why I think when you look at this, when, what Andrew was talking about at the beginning was when we walk in obedience, it doesn't make sense. And it isn't meant to make sense. We walk in obedience because we're trusting the Lord. And, and he is actually, he's doing this on purpose because he doesn't want us to focus on what we see and what we think is right. Because if we, if we do that and it works out for us, then that becomes our mode of, of operation. And he's like, as a father to sons and daughters, he's going, look, I never want you to think you can figure this out on your own. I want you to look to me and I'll lead you in my ways. And his ways are so good. And so I think for those who are struggling right now, if you're going through things, this is where we need to come together and we need to pray. And, uh, and I want to, if, if you can be vulnerable, as vulnerable as you can be, share, share what's going on and, and let somebody else come alongside you and say, let's, don't, don't answer their problem, please. <laughs> don't go, oh, I got the, I have a solution, just do this. <laughs> don't do that. Um, I have people come up to me all the time and like, what should I do here? I, I, I try never, unless it's like, like, well, don't do that. <laughs> that's, that's just dumb uh, and I, with grace. But, but for the most part, my job is not to tell you what to do or to, to get the wisdom from the Lord and then give it to you. My job is to, to have you set your eyes on Jesus and that you will get to know him and know his ways and then walk in them. And so, where it says here, Paul's going, this is his prayer, to fill you, not, not that, that I can get, that Paul can get the wisdom and then tell you guys what to do. He goes, no, that, that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will 
through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This comes with prayer. And he says this, and I pray this for this purpose, in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, and being strengthened by all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. That's, that's one sentence. If he was, had an English professor, that English professor would have said, you got to shorten that. <laughs> but do you, do you see the, it all comes out of this beginning part of we begin, we get to, we look to him through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. And it is the Spirit that leads us and guides us. And if we try to go any other way, we're going to go off track and we're going to miss it. But I believe that this is the time where we're going to begin to see breakthrough. And, and what, what's going to happen is as you seek the Lord in this, He's going to go, ah, oh. I feel like we were talking about this earlier. It's sometimes, it's not that we're being disobedient on purpose. It's almost out of like a negligence. Like we're just like, I think I'm going this way. But it's, it's a lack of, of hearing his voice and knowing his ways. And when we get to know his ways, he goes, no, no, no. I actually want you to go this way. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, now everything begins to clear up. Things begin to, to break open. The, the mountains get moved. And all of a sudden, uh, things happen that were not happening when we were going this direction. And all it took was just a shift. And that comes by the Spirit. That does not come by our own wisdom or our buddy's wisdom. That comes from here in the Spirit. So let's do this. Let's stand up. I'm just going to pray for you guys. Um, and then just spend, spend 15 minutes uh, or less. If, uh, but spend a few minutes <laughs> seeking the Lord in this time, even if not for yourself, for the person next to you. Because I'm telling you, I know there's people in this room. I know there's people online uh, that, that are there, there's just there's a, a lack of, of clarity of direction right now in this time. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you that we have your spirit. I thank you that we have the, the divine power for life and godliness. And there are promises that you have for each one of us. Lord, if there's, if there's people in this room that don't know the promises over their life, Lord, I pray that you, first of all, you begin to reveal those promises. You begin to reveal those things uh, that, that is their destiny and their purpose and the things that they're called to. And then, Lord, I, I thank you that once we have that, we don't then go, well, now I got it. I'm going to drive forward towards my destiny and my purpose. No. Now we look to you and we say, okay, God, I want to go your way to accomplish the things that you're calling me to accomplish. So, Lord, I thank you that at all times it's going to be eyes on you. Lord, I pray that we would come alongside each other, not to tell each other what to do, but to strengthen each other in the Lord, just as Paul did, that we would pray for each other, even as we find out what's going on in, in, the, in our neighbor's life here and in our person that we're sitting next to or across from. Lord, I thank you that this isn't just a one-time thing, but as the body of Christ, as we strengthen each other, their part is important in our part, and we, we don't even realize sometimes how much we play together off each other, the synergy that we have, in, and it's that oneness that you call us to as the body of Christ. 
So, Father, I thank you. I thank you for generations. I thank you that we're not looking just to, to us and, and what are my promises and what are the things that I'm supposed to do. But as we get the downloads, as we get the understanding, then we take that and we carry that to the next generation. We hold that out for the next generation. So, Father, I thank you tonight for wisdom that's going to be released. Wisdom from heaven. I thank you for understanding that's going to be revealed. I thank you that we're going to learn to walk in your ways as we get to know you. As we, and as we get to walk in your ways, we get to know you. It's that, what it says in John 15, it says, when you walk in obedience, when you obey my commands, when you learn my ways and you walk in them, you will remain in my love. And so, Lord, I thank you for this promise. That's, that's, there's a promise in and of itself. <laughs> Let's remain in his love. Let's learn his ways. Let's walk in them that we would remain in his love. So, Father, I bless every person here. I thank you for the, for the season that you're walking us into. I thank you for the breakthroughs that are right around the corner. I thank you. We are. We're on the sixth lap. We're about to, we're about to call out. We're about to blow the trumpet, and we're about to see walls come down. But, Lord, we need to know your ways at all times. And Lord, may we never take our eyes off of you. When the breakthrough does happen, that we don't go, oh, that's great. Now I know what to do. Don't do that. That we would keep our eyes on you at all times, in all things, and walk in obedience to your ways. So Lord, I thank you, and I bless every person here in the name of Jesus. Amen.